Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Uh, as always, the Greatest Games Podcast is a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. As always, we don't put any limits. It could be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, a B-team coach, a CYO coach, just game, uh, championship game, or something they consider to be their greatest game. Chris, I'm super excited for our guest today. You know, all of our guests are special, and uh, our guest today is, is special in his own way. He has successfully gone from being a head coach of girls basketball for 15 years and just finished his sixth year coaching boys at Tenafly High School. Jeff Kohler, welcome into the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. You guys, it's, it's awesome what you're doing, so I appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate well, thanks you Thanks for being on, Coach, definitely. Oh. Uh, making that transition, girls to boys, we were talking about before the show. It's just interesting the difference in coaching them, but you also coach a bunch of other sports as well. Yeah, I coached the volleyball program. I started that in 98, and I uh, took over the softball program three years ago. So I did the girls basketball for about 15 years and then the last six for the boys. I'll tell you what, those guests that have listened to our show know that I was a, a former girls basketball coach, and I'm not sure I've ever said it on the air. I was a volleyball coach, too, and you talk about just an absolute train wreck. I mean, I, I did the best <laughs> I could, but i tell you what, Jeff, I learned very quickly the value of hiring good people and putting good people around me. I hired a, a college volleyball, a former, former player my second year, and I just sat on the bench and let her coach, and she took us all the way to the third round of the state uh, state tournament. It was amazing, but I learned that lesson very early. Hire good people. <laughs> I did a lot of research in volleyball before I got it because I was more of a football, baseball, basketball guy. And uh, I remember during the interview, uh, it was he's like, "Do you do you coach volleyball?" And I'm like, "Well, I play volleyball." And he uh, he kept on asking me, Ed Cromer, the reason why I'm here right now, and. Uh, I must have went out about 20 times to different coaches and just videotaped them during their games and, and learn. And, but it's, it's a tough, it's a great sport. It's so exciting, but it, it's something that uh, I totally enjoy. And coaching my kids, it was even better. So. Yeah, co Coach brought up uh, Ed Cromer, one of the great um, high school sports people in Bergen County, without a doubt. A, 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 an absolute legend of uh, – a man, without a doubt. Yeah, Ed, I owe everything to. I mean, he's by far just the most professional. Uh, I am still very good friends with him. Um, if I ever have any questions, whatever, I could always go to him. And, and he gave me my um, start at Tenafly, and I'm forever grateful. And, and him and his wife, because Lois, when I was at Dwight Inglewood, was the nurse. So I think she helped out a little bit. But, uh, but my time with Ed, I, I just couldn't ask for a better mentor and, and uh, a boss he's just phenomenal and all these actually older now ad's they all learned under ed like the dennis nelson's the chris browns that you talked about tom gashels and so it, it's it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing that i learned with the best you know and ed was definitely the best yeah brian could brian could use some tips from ed without a doubt 
<laughs> I, just, I, don't, I don't understand the shots. I just don't get it. You know, we're having a show, we're having fun, and you know, I'm, I'm doing my best down here as an AD, and, and then the shots just keep coming. But I, I no, no, I'm saying you could you could absolutely learn a lot from it without oh, yeah, a doubt. No, you could no, learn I, so much. Yeah, oh, I, I think that a lot of uh, ADs still call him and, and ask him for his opinion on stuff, and and he's still big on the jamboree and the jamboree committee and, and basketball in general in the state of New Jersey. The, the jamboree sounds amazing. I've, we've had many guests go on and have talked about it. Uh, and it just sounds like it's just the biggest event going on. It, up is, there. it is by far the, the, the best event. And, and for Tenafly, it's even better. When I was the girls coach, I mean, I always would envy of, of being in your gym playing the second round of the jamboree. And, and I was fortunate enough to do that twice with the boys. We just ended up playing Don Bosco and St. Joe's those games. But <laughs> But it's something that, you know, there's not a better gig in, in basketball in Bergen County. I, maybe you could say Northern Highlands because they, they also have the second round at uh, Northern Highlands, the Jamboree. But it is definitely a dream. And, and the, the build up to that game, it, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's just so exciting to be part of. And to do it in your own gym and with your fans, it's phenomenal. The context is so lost, Jeff. And it's not, it's not a shot, Brian. I'm Brian because of the – the magnitude of the amount of schools in one single county. Like, Brian, how many high schools are there in Richland County? Ten? Oh, gosh, in Richland County, I'm not sure. We, we have five in our district, but it's spread out very, very far and wide. Y'all oh, probably have about okay, 40. Okay, yeah, there's, 60, there's 64 high schools in Bergen County. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, just that magnitude of, of – yeah. yeah. To be one of those few, it, it really is. It's such a – it's an honor to get to, – to make it or to get selected for it. I always kind of say it's kind of like the Army-Navy game. I mean, you could be Owen whatever, but if you win that Army-Navy game, it's the same thing with the boys, for at least my opinion. You make the jamboree, it, it makes your season. I mean, and if you could get a win or two, it, it's phenomenal. So it's something that every year our goal is to get to the jamboree. Every year it's different, but that's, that's always the goal. All right, Coach, uh, why don't you take us through your, your journey that led you into coaching? You've got some interesting stops along the way, uh, so why don't you uh, take us through that? Sure. I grew up in Baldwin, Long Island. Uh, my uh, assistant basketball coach and guidance counselor went to Indiana State, and I think you just had Coach Perry on uh, before, a previous uh, these cast. So I uh, went out there for about a year and a half, and uh, it was great, but I transferred to Springfield College. Uh, best decision I ever had. Learned I Actually, when I was at Indiana State, I coached boys' uh, eighth-grade basketball. And right around that time in 88, 89, you know, Hoosiers and Field of Dreams, and, and it really was like that. I coached eighth-grade boys' basketball, and we had 10 to 15 cars follow our buses to games. It was pretty pretty amazing for your first job yeah, coaching. Went to Springfield, graduated there, got a job at Dwight Inglewood. Um, great time there. I learned under Tom Curry. I was the middle school coach and he was the head coach and legendary coach in Bergen County. And uh, learned a lot from him and Chris Schmidt. That was my uh, his ed chair. And um, after that, I went down to Alabama, got my uh, master's in uh, coaching psychology, and now it's sports psych, but they back then they called it that, and uh, got an intern at Hofstra uh, University. I was fortunate enough to, to know a couple of people at Hofstra, and they got me an intern, worked there, and learned a lot, and that's when I thought I knew 
and it's it's funny i hear all these coaches say the same thing you, you think you know basketball in high school right out of college i knew nothing about basketball and i uh, learned a great deal from the coaching staff at hofstra and uh from there um i uh, got the job at at uh Tenafly in 98 and uh through ed cromer and uh that that whole process was great during the interview and like i said before you know he kept on asking me if i coach volleyball and i was like no <laughs> i coach football and uh, eventually i came around to like yes i coach volleyball and, and that was one of the best decisions that i ever made and he made um did just love the volleyball program and then got the girls job uh coaching basketball i was under kurt holman as a freshman coach for one year and kurt holman's one of the best baseball coaches, football coaches, basketball coaches in this county. And um, basically then I just got the softball job a couple of years ago and uh, got the boys basketball job six years ago. And uh, I really enjoyed the girls basketball. I loved it, but I don't think I would ever go back now coaching the boys. It's just every game is like part of the county tournament and the girls. It's packed gyms, it's, it's exciting. Uh, a little faster pace. I base. I think I try to coach the same between the girls and the boys, but you're, you're playing at the rim with the boys. Uh, girls, it was a lot more guard play, and if you had some guards, you could definitely be successful. So, coaching the boys, uh, we've been kind of challenged with height of last year, uh, this past year, but we're, we basically have everybody back, and I think we'll be very competitive this year coming up. Tell you what, it's a, a rich story. <laughs> You've been all over <laughs> the country. I love hearing that. And Chris, I'm going to go ahead and jump on in here to the Q&A. Um, the sports psych, and r remind me again what it was called back back then in the late It was 90s. coaching psychology. That's what yeah. like my diploma says or something. But uh, I, think that, I think it was back in the early 90s with the Braves, with uh, Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox. I think they – they had a guy in the stands and the commentator kept on saying, oh, he's sports psych. And I think it just kind of went that way um, in, in route. But uh, you, you learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot down in Alabama. I mean, just we just I just basically picked up with my best friend and we just drove down to Alabama. And and the way I heard about it was this guy uh, named Carl Nash. Uh, I thought I was trying to get into football and I think he was at Auburn and uh, basically who you knew. And I didn't know any. Anybody. And he said, look, I got my start in this academy down in Alabama. I think it's affiliated with Alabama State. And, and he's like, it's, you go for a whole year of classes, and then you do an intern somewhere. And uh, it, it, was, it was a tough decision leaving Dwight England because I did enjoy it. I love it there. I still, I worked about 20 years after. Um, I, I was done teaching there with the summer programs. But uh, I'm so happy that I found my way to Tenafly. Well, our, our listeners and, and Chris is going to know that I'm going to key in on the sports psych deal. And I remember uh, I was a, growing up in down in the, here in the South, big Atlanta Braves fan. I remember Tom Glav and he talked about those guys. It was, that was really the first time I really heard about it. If I remember right, it was a, a Dr. Llewellyn or something. It was something, yeah. a lot of, a lot of stands, L's. You can sit right in the stands it, yeah. you know, as you beat our Mets. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so, yeah, just, uh, just to me, I, I learned the value of, of imagery for me as a, as a, as a high school golfer, actually, um, really started dabbling in it as an eighth grader and before a state tournament one year as an eighth grader, 13 or 14 years old, went out and shot 70 back to back days after just imagining all of my shots the night before. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just try it and see how it goes. So I did it the night before the first round and went out and shot 70. I'm like, well, I'm going to do that again and did it again. And so um, can you talk to our listeners about the value of that, of that training that you got in that sports psychology, maybe how it's informing some of your decisions that you're making? Now? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it, just anything from being on a foul line. Like I'm a big uh, believer in three sport athletes, two sport athletes. I don't love the specialization that they do now for injuries and, and going into the sports psych in that field that, when you're when you're shooting a foul shot with three seconds left in the game, and then you're on the pitcher's mound or the shortstop, or if you're playing volleyball and you have to get a serve over, all those kind of connect. So the the psychology behind it, at least my perspective, is that you you, you have to understand the the magnitude and you have to relax and, and perform. And uh, I'm you know I big things with pressure. You know pressure kills performance, and the teams that kind of control themselves and understand that no matter how big the moment is, it's another game. And I, I know you, you talked to, to coach, um, oh God, uh, Creskill coach, uh, Dan, and oh, yeah, Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was talking, you were talking about suits and mm-hmm. it's true. You know, whatever you, whatever you do to lead up to a game and I'm a creature of habit, whatever it, you know, practice, whatever it is, we kind of keep the same, kind of the, the mojo going and so it doesn't change and, and everything from your dress to how you uh, how you do the pregame walkthrough and you try to keep it the same throughout so I try to keep it kind of set for the kids all my sports that you know it's just a game it's just another game no matter how big it is or whatever it is so that's that's what we try to try to teach in tennis fly. Well, uh, coach brought up Dan Agaro in the suits Dan definitely outdresses coach Cola Oh, oh yeah. Oh no. When, when when I first was a polo I, guy all the way. <laughs> when I first started, I used to wear suits, and then my volleyball <laughs> team used to get mad because I didn't. Because I'm like, I have to warm you up in volleyball. I can't wear a suit. <laughs> but now it's more of the 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 Brian Dunn, like the the, the casual. <laughs> it's, it's much better. I don't have to sweat so much. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, talk about and this is an interesting question with with you coaching multiple sports here, and what Brian was talking about with the sports psychology. How do you define success for each team? And is, is it different? Is it, is it year to year depending on, you know, the team you have? How do you define success each season? I think it's year to year. I, I've been pretty fortunate in volleyball to be very competitive with the top teams in the county. Um, girls basketball, same thing. Softball, when I took that, it, it, was, it was a challenge in the beginning. And I think now we're very competitive. Um, in boys basketball, you know, I, I took over for Joe Panizio that was a phenomenal coach at Tenafly. And uh, the team that I got from him, uh, they, they were tough. And he'd be, I think, be the first ones to tell you. But I think they needed to be kind of humbled a little bit. But I think every season, every every time you have a team, I have the captains kind of write down the goals. Um, one year, I had a team that said, we're going to win the Jamboree, we're going to win the state. It kind of realized then, all right, I kind of have to, Kind of gravitate to more common goals that you kind of achieve so every year our goal for boys basketball is to to be competitive in the league and 
try to be competitive to win the league championship, uh, win the holiday tournament, get into the county tournament. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking the Jamboree first because that is obviously the, the, the number one tournament and then qualify and make a run in the States. So um, I've been fortunate that I think all those criterias are pretty competitive in, in the fact that I think my teams can get there. But, uh, you know, every, every year is different. Every team is different. Every person is different. I'll tell you what, you know, our listeners will know that that's, that's, that's music to my ears too. And I, I love the, the, the goal nature of those things, but it's not a, a we, we're going to win a state championship, you know, it's, we're going to be competitive in the league. And um, so kind of, I'm going to go back to another <laughs> reference, the question I asked a minute ago with your, your sports psych background, how do you get your kids to, um, I don't really love the term buy-in, but just get behind, hey, we're going to be competitive in the league. We're and then how do they – do you give them any opportunity to speak into your norms or your rules around your group and the way things are happening in practices? So um, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, Coach, but I just love to hear how you, you get your kids on board with those, with those with that vision. Yeah, I think it, I've been, again, fortunate enough with my best players that I have a pretty decent relationship with. And I think that it, it's almost like being like when I used to teach kindergarten or even high school for that matter. If you want your kids to do something, you try to make them believe that they're actually making the, the rules or whatever. So um, with, with my teams, you know, I, I do give a lot of input. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in, in basketball. Look, if you have an offense you like, tell me, you know, we're, we're in this together. This is your program. And I think that if you, put the, the, the onus on the kids and, and the kids really love it. I think they love it that, you know, this is their program. This is when they walk around the streets in Tenafly, are they proud of it? And, and one thing that I, I remember taking over the girls volleyball team, they, they didn't want to wear girls volleyball shirts. It was like, then nobody's going to buy it. And I said, guys, the, the whole point of, of changing how people look at it is you want to go out there. You want to show your Tenafly colors and basketball, volleyball, softball, whatever it is. And, and I think that, that that really starts it. And the best players that I've had have really, really taken that. And the captains kind of pass it. Our big thing is that as captains, you want to pass your program better than you left it. And uh, it's something that I've been fortunate with that, that I've had great captains that actually led the program. And when they come back, and uh, my big thing when I say to them, like, I want you to come back three, four years from now, and I want you to see what you've done. I had a guy, uh, Alon Abude, uh, you know, he really started the lifting for boys basketball to understanding how strong you have to be to, to compete against the St. Joe's, the, the T-Nex, the, the old Pans, the PVs of the world. And, and it's something that he really did. And this past year, the guys were lifting a lot. Now they're lifting, obviously, at home. But, you know, they, I want that, you know, those guys to know what, what they've done has changed the way our our program is going to be. Coach, you've talked a bunch about captains so far. This is a question that hasn't come up. What's your protocol on choosing captains, on captains being chosen? Um, is it always seniors? Is it, you know, what, what, what's that process like for you? I always find that interesting. Yeah, I, I've, I've changed the way I've, I've thought about that and over the last couple of years with my assistant coaches. And now for all my programs, we sit in a classroom. I have, if it's 
basketball, like this year was the first year I actually had JV and varsity play practice together. I found that in years past, it was just the, the, the level was too different. But all my programs, we sit in a room. Uh, I basically, I tell them, guys, we're not holding back. There's no secret ballots. There's no, you know, coach wants. You are all going to talk about who you think is going to be a leader of this program. If you went away, if you missed practices, if for whatever reason you got suspended, whatever it is, you're, you can't be a captain. So we go around the room and people will, will put somebody up and uh, somebody will talk about them, most likely in a positive way. And then at the end, there's no, you know, there's going around the room. Who do you pick? Give me two captains. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about like manning up or woman up, kind of, you know, deal with what, what, you know, it's going to be good or bad. And uh, I've done that for about five, six years and never had an issue so far. And uh, it's, it, I like it because there's no hiding. There's no, you know, I'm voting for my best friend. And, it, and I always tell them, and I haven't really called anybody out, but if somebody said somebody that went away as a sophomore to, to Turks and Caicos or something like that, I'll mention it. So they know going in, don't pick somebody that hasn't been here from the beginning, unless they're a transfer, obviously. So that that's what we've done, and I've done that with all three sports, and uh, it's it's worked. So put it that way. Coach, uh, I can only imagine what's coming next for you here. We've, we've come to the point of the show. We're going to hear about your greatest game or greatest games if you have a couple. It's been fascinating to hear you talk and get to know you here the last little bit. So I can only imagine we're going to have some fascinating stories to, to talk about and answer <laughs> about what's the greatest games. So uh, you give us as much background information as you can and tell us why they're so special to you. All right. <clears throat> well, I'll start with saying that, you know, I'm a big believer that anybody could beat anybody once and it's the teams that could beat people consecutively, then that's when you have, you know, the, the, the program or the rival. But uh, it was back in uh, 2002, uh, we're playing a state game against Pascac Valley. And uh, we went in and we kind of, they had the Gatorade player of the year. They, they were just phenomenal. Coach Jasper is probably the best coach um, in girls or boys basketball in Bergen County, you know, one of them. And uh, they were they were playing. Uh, we were playing the state, and we lost by like 40, 50. I mean, it was embarrassing, and we were down by 30, I think, after one and a half quarters. And I was on the bus with Alana Kasner, my best player at the time, and uh, she was a junior. And we were a bunch of sophomores and juniors. And I said to her, "I'm like, listen, uh, Alana, you know, if we're gonna ever beat a team like this, we have to understand how to move the ball." possess the ball. There's no shot clock in Jersey. It's a big, big thing we need to do. And uh, going back to the captains, when you have a captain that understands that, I think in basketball, that is the hardest game plan you ever want to do is that you go into it knowing that you have to slow down the pace. So the next year we're playing, uh, we've made the county tournament. Um, we won two games. Pascac Valley won one game and I went to see them and uh, they play North Arlington. And North Arlington they were decent, but they went up probably about like 12 points in the first quarter with about a minute left. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation. So long story short, that one minute before you knew it, PV's up by two at the end of one. And the same thing happened in the second <clears throat> part of the Arlington game. Um, it was basically the same as the first. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if they just 
slowed it up a little bit, get it close to the fourth quarter. PV at the time, they didn't have a lot of close games in the fourth quarter. So I went back, and a guy that you're going to know uh, was my assistant coach, Chris Brown. Um, he actually, I actually interviewed him when he got the job at Dwight, the first job he got in New Jersey. So Chris and I and my other two assistants, Coach Greeley and Coach Capone, we're, we're talking about that they've been averaging about 78 possessions a game, and that's, that's pretty high for a girls' basketball game. So like that's like 140, 150 points. There's no way. If they get half of that, that's still about 70 to 80 points. So we needed to try to get them down to like about the 30 range. And if we get them down to 30, they get 60. Half of that would be about 30. We could possibly stay with them. So we're not embarrassed. That was basically our thought process going in. Like, you just don't want to be embarrassed. We're, we're in the final eight. You get here. You get to the final four. It's pretty nice. And um, so start the game and uh we we stall we we basically play four corners like you know raleigh massimino whatever from villanova and we um we, we kind of stay with them and we're basically two points up two points down and they had two girls heather zorich and Kristen brown phenomenal division one uh, heather went to rutgers one of the best basketball players i've ever coached against boy or girl and um she so basically we went in the halftime i think we were up by four and uh, we, we came out and we told the team uh, as a coaching staff the fact that if we go out and do the same thing we did in the first quarter, the first two minutes are going to be pretty important. And uh, we came out and we, we kind of slowed it up. And I think we scored like four points in the third quarter. I think they scored two. And um, the fourth quarter came and it was kind of back and forth. And we went up by one. And my girl was shoot my Alana Casimir was shooting a one and one, uh, two shots. And she actually missed him with about five seconds left. Heather has the ball, and we're trying to defend her. And uh, she missed a shot. Alana got the rebound, threw it up. I think the ball's still up in the air somewhere. But but the, I think we won like 33, 32, or something in that aspect. And all I remember is Chris Brown picking me up, spinning me around. Like I think I was still at like a concussion from that. And I'm looking at all the people. We only had about 50 people in the stands. And the whole, it was like a rite of passage. And Pascal Valley has done that. And, and Coach Jasper has, has built that reputation that, you know, this is basically, uh, you know, what they're about to get to the final four. And uh, I just remember seeing all these yellow shirts and these moms crying hysterical. And we have like 25, 50 fans behind us clapping. And it, it was a great moment. But saying that I've been on the other end of these you know, a lot of them and anybody could beat anybody once and, and that was what I told the team after is like you know fine you, you win the game but let's keep going and the game after that we saw uh, Sue Liddy and Holy Angels and you know Sue Liddy uh, you know one of the best you know just up there with Jasper a legend in, in this county but, uh, but that was the, the, the best and again talking about that game plan we did it a couple of years later at Pascac, uh, at Riverdale against Framus Catholic. And uh, they had like five or six division one athletes. And we did the same thing. And the end of the score after one was two nothing. And uh, we ended up beating them, uh, I think in overtime. But uh, I just remember them, the AAU coaches on the, on, the, on the bleachers trying to coach and try to yell at them. And they didn't know what we were doing. Like I had my center come out, just dribble the ball. And they had a six foot, three, four girl that was just like, what do I do? And before you knew it, the game was over and we won. But, um, but th those are the moments. And, and that game plan itself, I don't know if you've ever done that as a coach, 
it is the most frustrating and the, the hardest to get because their whole life they've been told attack, 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 you know, go to the basket. And their parents said, and, and both those games, I we videotaped the games. I had my parents say, what, what are these doing? What, what kind of coaching is this? And by the fourth quarter, like, hey, this is brilliant. But when it doesn't work out, it's tough. But uh, I've had a couple boys teams that have done that. We played St. Joe's this past, past year. And uh, it was a, a two-point game with about 30 seconds left in the 30, uh, third quarter. Now, they just eventually just, you know, mauled us to the end. But, but it's something that I think every team has to have that in the back pocket if you're a tenafly or we go up and down like most teams. We're not, you know, powerhouse, but we try to find ways to win. Brian, I just want to, uh, Coach Kohler, I sent Brian an article uh, just now about Jeff Jasper. I don't know if he got a chance to look at it. Yeah. Uh, this is an article from 2018, so a couple years ago when he was about to win his 1,000th game. Okay, Brian, this mm -hmm. is the guy that Jeff beat. Seven Bergen County championships at that time, 13 sectional titles, six state titles. I mean, this guy is – in girls basketball in the state of New Jersey, he's the cream of the crop. Uh, and like Coach said, they had Heather Zurich, who was one of the one of the great players that this guy's had in his forty plus years. So, Coach, talk about going into that game. You 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 talked about how you lost the year earlier, and you talked to your best player about what you guys needed to do when it came time to put in that game plan before the the, the game that you won. What, how was your team? How did your team react to that? Did this girl, her, you have, haven't spoken to her previously. Did that help with you implementing this game plan? Actually, we talked on the bus after the uh, stake in <clears throat> that we lost by 30, 40 points. Um, but, you know, it's funny. We, we implement that in the summer. We, 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 they were, you know, during a summer game, I was like, guys, I want to hold the ball for a minute. Just, just hold the ball, move the ball around. Um, but sometimes, or at least the cases that we've done this in the boys' basketball and we did it in the girls, you have to lose. You have to almost lose by 30 points before they realize, hey, this is the only game plan that's going to win. And, and when we played with the boys with the T-neck game, uh, we, we beat T-neck doing that. Um, we've, we've stayed with a lot of teams. Uh, but it's something that if, if they don't buy into it or if they haven't, felt the, the, the reason why you have to do this, it's hard. But um, I've, I've been really lucky that I've had great parents, great kids that, that understand the game of basketball. Every once in a while you have a kid that's like, we're never going to win. Well, you know, the, the, if you kind of do it this way, you'll have a chance to win at the end. You know, you could win 2 nothing. It's fine. Not, not that we would ever do that. But it's something that uh, it, you have to have the – the, the Johnny Ambazo, my boys basketball player that, that ended up being one of my best players, probably the best player I ever coached, he understood it, and he, it trickled down. If the best player does it, then the other kids kind of fall in line. Um, and, and during that Pascac Valley game, I, I kind of yanked the girl out of the game um, because she shot. And, and, and she looked at me, she's like, Coach, I was open. I'm like, well, there's a reason why you're open. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> like the, the last part of the games. I mean, they, they don't understand it. And the parents sometimes don't understand it. There's a reason why, like at the end of the game, I'm not covering this kid because the only way we're going to win is if this kid takes a shot. So, so she understood, and then she got right back in there, and, and, and she, under, you know, she knew what to do. But, but that's the, the hardest part is to telling them that this is how you try to stay in the game against teams that have these Division I players that we're not going to have many of them.
So I think the, the, the next question I want to ask is, I believe right now there are eight states in the United States that have a shot clock in, in high school basketball. So, um, and Chris, I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, but Jeff, for, for you first, of course, <laughs> as our guest, where are you on the use of a shot clock in high school basketball? And knowing that this story here would never have happened had a shot clock yeah. been, 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 been being used. So where, where are you with a, with the shot clock in high school basketball? You know, I'm, I'm good either way. I think it's better for us, like at a 10 apply to be able to upset a team like the St. Joe's, the Bergen Catholics, the Don Bosco. But most of these, these coaches, they're, they're so good. They understand it. it you know, if, they just press or trap or kind of speed up the game. And, and it's really hard. Everything has to kind of fall in place and you do have to shoot. You do have to score, but I, I'm, I'm, I like the fact that we don't have a shot clock. It's something that, you know, there's a little bit more strategy involved. There's a little bit more uh, at the end of the game. Um, and, and again, I see the other side to it because when they go off to college, a lot of my players look at me and like, it's so different. I'm not used to it. So, I get why eventually it might change, but for me now and, and for coaches that have programs that have the ups and downs like Tanafly will have, um, I think it, it's to our benefit that there is no shot. <laughs> I, uh, I was quoted in an article this year uh, by Darren Cooper. He did an article about the shot clock, yeah. about being vehemently against it. Um, and I, I, I'm not vehemently against it, but Brian, you're a thinker. You like to think about things. My, my point is, does it make the game better? If so, then I'm, then I'm fine for it. But just because teams score more points and have more possessions doesn't necessarily make that mean that's a better basketball game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I'm, I'm, I'm Jeff, I'm like you, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm good either way. And when I was coaching girls basketball, it's funny. I, there were a couple of games that, that we chose to do what you're in this story here to hold a basketball. And the, I think the funny thing is I'm coming back to your question in a second too, Chris, but the funny thing is like, you, you've got to have some players that are able to handle the basketball to be able to hold a basketball. You can't just go out there and say, all right, we got no chance here to hold the ball. Cause you're right. Teams will trap and everything like that. So back to your question, Chris, I think that, um, it does make our game a little bit unique in that without a shot clock, it does change things. It does make it a little bit more, yeah, coaches have to get a little bit more creative and, um, you know, ultimately now I'm a high school AD and I, I'm, I'm good with not having to spend the extra money and then find the extra person to demand that. And then all the other problems that I think our officials have a hard enough time with the game as it is now having to figure out where did the ball hit the rim or not and all that kind of stuff. It's just, uh, like I said, I, I'm good either way, but I kind of lean towards not having it because it does, like Jeff, you're saying, it does give you a, a more of a shot for some of those games that you really don't have as many athletes as maybe somebody you're coming up against. One other point I have against it is um, my, my kid, not just my kids, all kids that I see when I go around scout games take terrible contested shots without a shot clock. Could you imagine if they were forced to shoot every 30 seconds, the terrible shots that would be launched? Yeah. Am I wrong, coach? I mean, kids take horribly contested shots at like four seconds into a possession, and you're like, what are you doing? Oh, that, that was the big thing coming to boys. I, I never understood it, but I had a kid that was very good, uh, Amit Yona, that he would literally take three dribbles, shoot. And, and I, it just blew my mind, first off. I'm like, that's not how I grew up. It's, you know, the motion offense, pass, move, get the best shot possible. 
And I'd never had a kid say this to me during a game, but man, I, I let him do his thing. He, he came over to me during the game and he's like, coach, I got you. Don't worry. And, and he was right. I mean, he basically took these NBA threes and, and he was great. I've had kids that think they can and they can't, but he, he made them. And, and the big thing I told him, I'm like, just show me in practice that you can make a couple of these. But that to me coming down, taking like this, you know, NBA three and thinking that's the best shot. I just, I can never get over that. I, to me still to this day, I, I don't think that's the best shot, even though I know that seems to be what kids are doing more and more. And they see, you know, Curry and, and all these guys doing it. And, and I guess it, there's a place for it, but I'm not a big fan. <laughs> yeah. All right, coach. Uh, yeah. We're going to wrap it up here with one final question that I like to ask. And I, you've apparently listened to some episodes. You might know this question's coming. If I asked a, a girl who played for you back in 2001 and I asked a boy who played for you this year, what's the thing they would say Coach Kohler always says? What's that, that pearl of wisdom that you always scream during practice or some instruction point that you always give? I have one at the end, and then during, the game, during practice, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this right, but, you know, we'll, we'll have – I'm a more of a defensive kind of coach. I, I, I offense, I'm probably the worst coach ever. I love the defense aspect. So I like the hedging, the switching, the, the rotating, the, the taking the charge. And when somebody doesn't do that and somebody scores, like somebody gets beat off somebody on a one-on-one, I always say, I always stop practicing. I go up there in the stands, your mommy and daddy are going to be blaming me that I took you out, even though you just got beat. And I said, you didn't get taken out. The other guy that didn't move to help defense got taken out. Like, I want them to understand that the five guys on the court, everything revolves around each other and how they kind of uh, work together. So they might, you know, they might have got taken off the dribble, but the guy didn't step in. I'll take the guy that didn't step, step in out of the game. And then he's like, well, what did I do? I'm like, well, you didn't step in and do it. So I always try to make them understand, you know, what you're your parents or what the people and your girlfriend, your boyfriend in the stands are thinking that everything you do is a domino effect. If you're not doing the hedging, the switching, the, the rotating, the taking the charge, the boxing out, we're not going to win. And at the end of practice, especially in the beginning, I always, I'm a big believer in uh, this phrase, when adversity strikes, the true person comes out. And uh, I've had the last two years in basketball, last year we won the league championship uh, and we started out two and four, maybe two and five. And it's a tribute to those guys that I had as seniors uh, two years ago, the Johnny and Bazo, the Eric Kachowskis, the, the, all those guys, the Dennis and, and uh, shy. And those guys had to deal with adversity. So when, when you start out two and four and then you go on a run, I think we won maybe 11 out of 12 and we ended up winning the league. That that's something. And then this year, same thing kind of happened and we ended up taking off again and, it's something that I, I love when there's adversity, when people are doubting us or when are doubting each other and you find a way and you don't blame things when things are going bad. You kind of say, you know, you don't point the it's all Parcells line. You don't point the finger, you point the thumb. So, you, you know, you worry about yourself, you worry about getting yourself better and, and you don't blame people. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's something that Barry Sanderson was an assistant at University of South Carolina when I was there and the, the son of the great Wimp Sanderson. He would say things 
essentially what you're saying is just figure out what language they speak and speak that language. And so put it in those terms of a hey, mom and daddy and your friends, you know, they're going to wonder. And now that becomes that much more real to them. You know, yeah. I, I think that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. I like to have them understand what, what I'm thinking. And, and that's the big thing. Like when you talk about sports psychology, I want them to know why I took them out. And, you know, when we watch film the next day or even in practice right there, and I'm taking you out because you're not busting your butt down the floor. If you're telling me you're not tired, <clears throat> and you know these are all things that you know we talk about as a team. And I think the more they understand where you're coming from and they trust you, I think good things could happen. That's right. But just just a quick postscript to that, Brian. The guy we first worked for, Eddie Fogler. Do you remember? He had the the shot. They would rate a shot a four, a three, a two, or a one. Absolutely. Every sh- and sometimes in practice, a guy would take one of those shots you're talking about. A meet would take, and and Coach Fogel would say, "What you know? What number of shot is that?" And the kid would be like, "Oh, that's a one. Yeah, that's a one. So you shouldn't take it. You know, yeah. you should take a four, not a one. You know." And they actually post game they would grade the kids' shots on that. You know, on that scale. So that's yeah. I don't know what my point was there, but it was yeah, it's, it's a great point because it's it, <laughs> no, it, 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 it is a great it, point. Yeah. Oh, it's about the kids understanding where you're coming from. I'm sorry. That's we'll, what it we'll was. grade the charges. Uh, we'll grade the charges if they take it square. If they take, if they don't lean to the side, and uh, we're big on like egg sandwiches. If they get a charge, I'll give them an egg sandwich in the morning the next day. <laughs> but uh, but we'll rate them, and, and they get mad at me sometimes, especially my girls. I, I'd be hard grader. I'm like, that's a seventy. Like what? I'm like now you kind of. Doc, you didn't really take it square, and so they would kind of have competitions who would who would not move and, and hold it steady. And but uh, yeah, that's a great point system for for shots. I like that. Well, I'll ask you this: what what happens when a kid gets out of the way when they have an opportunity to take a charge, either practice or a game? What happens in coach? I, I yeah, they're they're out. But I, I had it stinks because a lot of times. It's, it's always like one of my best players. They don't have that whole game. They don't have the offense, defense, and charge. Um, I found that I had a lot of girls take more charges. I think I had a girl my last year get 17 charges. I, I think the first three, four years in boys basketball, I didn't have 17 total charges as a team. So it's something that, I, I you know, last year we got better. This year we got much better at it. But um, it's I don't know why it's always that that best player doesn't do it. But he'll come out, or or I'll tell him like you should you know we'll watch it on video. I'll rewind, fast forward, rewind, slow motion. I'll let them, and I won't even say a word. So they they all kind of put the pressure on each other. And and, and with the girls, we were at the point that they would read themselves. They're like ah, Cole would give you a forty on that, you know. So <laughs> but it's something that um I don't know. I, I I'm a I, I like defense. I I love the defense aspect and, and how that works. Offense, I don't know. I let my other coaches worry about that. Defense are more <laughs> involved. Well, my high school coach was the one that uh, if I I see I was I was the guy I love taking charges yeah. mostly because yeah. I was pretty slow and it, it meant if I could just stay in the lane on in help side and not have to go out there it was, it was just easier. I was like, well, shoot, I just want to stay right here. But if I ever did get out of the way, coach would always say, all right, you do that again. I'm gonna line everybody up. And we're going to run you over. I'm like, okay, that's never happening again. So I'll, I'll take that charge next time. You got my attention. <laughs> it changes the game. I mean, you, you get a charge, you neutralize their best player attacking the basket. And, and, and we found out, like with the boys, if you got two, charges, two charges in a game, you win. Mm-hmm. There's no, we didn't lose if we had two charges. So it was something that, you know, it's something that we constantly talking about. 
because it's all about toughness. It's all about giving yourself up with your teammates and and doing all those little things to win games. Yeah, one one play, just a selfless giving up of the body. And to me, you're right. I think it changes the game. We, we were fortunate down here at Ridgeview to have a 6'10", 6'11", kid that's at Georgetown now for a couple of years blocking shots in the back. And he's a game changer. But you take a couple of charges early in the game, now now you're in somebody else's head like, all right, well, what's going to happen next time I go down the lane? You know, they just, they're, they're yep. looking for it. Like they're looking for a shot blocker. Such a neutralizer. It really is. Great yeah. neutralizer. Yeah. I love it. I could, we need to do a, a whole episode, have you back here next time and uh, <laughs> do an hour on charges. Cause I could talk about those. For, <laughs> oh, there's nothing better. Like you said, for a kid to do that, I mean, to me, those kids are a dime a dozen and I I'd do anything for them. I mean, that's, that's total sacrifice. Yeah. Well, Coach uh, Coach Kohler, it's been awesome to have you here and spending some time with us talking some hoops. And uh, do you have any social media or anything that you'd like to promote to any of our listeners? Yeah, I, you have. Um, I, can find I have uh, <laughs> the three sports. We have. Uh, it's all Tenafly, Tenafly volleyball. Uh, actually, it's Tenafly volley B one, and boys Tenafly for basketball and softball Tenafly for the softball team. All right. Well, good deal. Well, that, that this will give us our first opportunity maybe to put some uh, social media in the show notes here so we can add those in so folks can uh, follow along everything that's going on at 10.5. But again, Coach, can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show today. It's been awesome to get to know you. I, I appreciate it. What you guys are doing, it, it really is phenomenal. I love listening to you guys, but thank you for what you're doing. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks again. And for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.